0: So, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, we've, got, we've got a lot of ground to cover tonight, so uh, let's try to... I'd like us to try to finish up uh, the Old Testament view of angels tonight, and then we'll pick up um, in the book of Matthew next week. We're going to skip the Christmas narratives and come back to it in, a, in about three or four weeks, obviously. So, don't, don't think I'm skipping text, and I, I'm, we're not going to talk about it, but we're skipping it for a reason. So, let's open up in prayer. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for these uh, stories that we will see tonight that show us angels at work. I pray that we would learn from this, or that we would apply this to our life, uh, and this would, would uh, help us to see um, how your... Messengers, your servants, are here among us. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you want to turn with me in your Bible to the book of Isaiah, we'll be looking in chapters 36 and 37. What happens is, is that in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib of Assyria came up to Judah uh, and took them. And the king of Assyria sent Rabshakin from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem with a great army. And so here this servant of Sennacherib came and started talking to Hezekiah and was speaking to him. And Hezekiah said, wait, let's, let's speak in your language. Because he didn't want the people around him to hear. And, and this servant of um, uh, Rabshakeh Shakah said, nope, I'm going to speak in, in the language that they all can understand. And he says to them... Um, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you rest this trust of yours? It, nothing is going to protect you. He says, Egypt is a broken reed in your hand. It's not going to protect you. And it, he says, but if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and altar Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? Now what Hezekiah had done is actually torn down the false altars that were around uh, his country. And so this servant of Sennacherib was mistaken thinking that he had torn down the altars around Israel in a political ploy to make everybody worship in Jerusalem, not realizing that God had commanded that everyone come to Jerusalem to worship. And it was actually the sin of Rehoboam that had caused... Uh, other leaders to build other altars around Israel so that people would worship there. So he delivers this letter. He threatens him and says, Nobody's going to help you. You better surrender to Sennacherib. And goes off. So we'll pick up in 37, verse 1. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household and uh, of the Lord, and Shebna, the secretary, and the senior priest, covered with sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz. So, Hezekiah goes to the temple to pray. He sends servants of the house of the Lord to go to Isaiah and ask for Isaiah to, to, um, to pray, and then... We pick up in verse 9. When the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, which, which the young men of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. Drop down to verse 21. Now the king heard concerning uh, Tirhakah, king of Cush, he has sent out a fight against you. So exactly what Isaiah predicted, that Sennacherib hears that this king of Cush has, has sent somebody out to fight him. When he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Do not let your God in which you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of all the nations delivered them, the nations that my father destroyed? Gozan, Haran, Rezeph, and the people of Eden who were in Telesar. Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharim? Where is the king of Evah? So, here, it seems like Isaiah's prophecy is coming true, but as Sennacherib's leaving, he sends this message to, to Hezekiah that says, You think you're going to win, you're wrong. And he lists off all the kings that were be- was before Hezekiah that he just rolled over, that he destroyed. And he actually said, You think God's going to protect you, where's their gods? You need to count the cost. You need to see that I've got a whole bunch of men and you got nothing. In fact, he goes on to say, hey, let's make a bet. I'll give you the horses if you can put people on it. I'll I'll even the score. I'll give you some horses. Why don't you put some men on it and then we'll see if there's a fight. Because if it is, it's not even really worth their time. So Isaiah, son of Amoz, sent to Hezekiah saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Now notice why. Because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. Now I find that interesting. That in Isaiah's word, it's just like what we saw last week. It's because of the prayer of one of God's saints that God moved. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria... He shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with shield or cast up a siege mount against it. By the way he came, the same he shall return. And for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David, I will defend this city to save it. Now, that's interesting too. When I ever, I've been asked to, to when uh, Ann and I first got back from Turkey, as missionaries, we were asked to speak at a lot of churches. And in fact, I, I, we spoke at, I think, 40-some-odd churches in Etowah County and around. And, and as a missionary, you're required by law to, to speak from the Great Commission. Um, and you guys have all heard the sermon that I preached at every church that I went to. That was, the Great Commission says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And if you back up just a little bit, because whenever there's a therefore, you ask what the therefore is Therefore, What is that talking about? What is the cause for this effect? And the cause is, Jesus said just before that, all authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me, go therefore and make disciples. And I preached. The reason for the Great Commission is for the glory of God. That missions happens because glory... Because praise doesn't. God deserves the praise of the Muslims in Turkey. God deserves the praise of heathens in America. God deserves the praise of people all over the world. That's why we tell them about Jesus. Because God deserves their praise. We do that for His glory, for His honor. Not because we... Not necessarily just because we're concerned about them. Not because of all these other reasons that we like to give for why we do missions in evangelism. The reason why we do missions in evangelism is because we serve a mighty God and he deserves the praise of everybody in the world. That's why we do missions. And you see here that God is saying, I'm defending Jerusalem. Why? For my name's sake. And for the sake of my servant David. And I believe from that, what he's saying is that from his servant David, someone is coming to fulfill the promise that he made to Abraham, to fulfill the promise he made to David, to fulfill the promise he made to Solomon, to fulfill the promise even that he made back to Adam and Eve, that from your seed, someone is coming that will crush the head of the serpent. And so from David's line, someone would come. And so for the sake of the fact that Sennacherib prayed, For the sake of God's name, and for the sake of David and his legacy, God said, I will defend the city to save it. And then we read, And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. Don't let that number slide by you. That's a lot of people that went to bed one night and woke up dead. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. And then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch, his god, Adramelech and Sherazer, his sons, struck him down with the sword. And after that, they escaped to the land of Ararat, Esaharadon, His son reigned in his place. So it happened exactly the way God said it would happen. And Israel never had to fire a bow. God protected his people because people were willing to get down on their knees and pray. So here we see this angel of the Lord, and we know who that is, that simply walked through the camp of the Assyrians and killed 185,000. The next time that we see an angel, um, is the beginning part of Daniel. So, if you want to turn me over to Daniel chapter three, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel. Am I the only one that's still from Iwana's? Go Genesis six, Leviticus number. You run read Joshua in my head so that I can find stuff. So, Nebuchadnezzar, Neb- Nebuchadnezzar. Um, Decided that he was going to build a big gold statue of himself. Um, by the way, that's, that's pretty arrogant. If you're, if you're still alive and you're building statues to yourself, you might need to check your pride. I'm just saying. Um, I, I was, uh, I remember, was it two years ago that the 30 by 30 came out that was about the OJ trials? And we, Ann and I, were, got, we got sucked up into it, and we were watching it, and there was one of the, one of the scenes when the character that was playing O.J. walked out into his front yard, and, and he's looking at this bronze statue of himself. And he's like, why is this happening to me? And I thought to myself, well, there's one of the reasons why right there. you got a statue of yourself in your yard. So if you put a statue of yourself in your yard, something fell apart a long time ago. I'm just saying. So Nebuchadnezzar creates this gold statue. And uh, he decided that when the statue was going to be dedicated, and, and there's a little there's an inside joke here in the language. Uh, I'll, I'll let you in on. The writer here says uh, in verse three, then the satraps, prefects, governors, counselors, treasurers, justices, magistrates, and all the officials of the providence gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image of Nebuchadnezzar. And, and that when the herald was proclaimed aloud, everybody was supposed to fall down and, and worship the image. And so, um, that happened. All of the, the uh, set traps, um, prefects, governors, counselors, treasurers, justice, magistrates, and all of the officials were there. And the, uh, the fluters played, the singers sang, every kind of music... And everybody bowed down except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So, can you imagine thousands and thousands and thousands of people? Music's playing, and then everybody bows down except three young men standing there. You know they were feeling out of place questioning themselves there's a lot if you read the first part of daniel there's a lot of other people there from israel than these 3 i could hear some of their buddies going look man just bow down it's not a big deal he didn't know what's in your heart just do what the king said to do don't don't mess it up don't muddy the waters don't don't cause a, a fuss it's not a big deal our culture tells us the same thing all the time, doesn't it? Why you got to make a fuss about stuff? Just, just go. What you believe, we don't really care. Just don't bring it into the way you act around me. So, Nebuchadnezzar, verse 13, is furious. He commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought to him. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Nebuchadnezzar answered, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, he's going to give them a second chance. If you are ready, when you hear the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, uh, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, which is exactly what was said there before, and I said there's a little linguistic play here. The writer, on purpose, lists out all the music over and over again because Nebuchadnezzar thinks that's so important. And so the people who are saying it are saying, Now, whenever we play the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp the bagpipe, and every kind of music. And so that's exactly what the king says again. And whenever the text lists the satraps, prefects, governors, counselors, treasurers, justice, magistrates, and all the officials, the text lists it out again because it's trying to poke fun at the fact that these people thought their whole deal was so important. So the king says, I'm going to give you another chance. When you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship... You, you're, we'll let you go. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And seriously, who's the God that can deliver you out of that? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, I love their answer. We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I love that response. My God is able to deliver me from a fiery furnace or whatever you put up. But even if he doesn't, you're going to know, you will know that he is God and we're not worshiping your little fake gods. Well, Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than usual. So this is a normal way for him to to deal with people who have done him wrong. But it's funny how, and again, look at the world and the way the world speaks to you and speaks to us, he's nice and polite. Listen, if you'll just fall down and worship, everything will be okay. Just give in. And then when they say, my God is able to deliver me, but whether he does or whether he doesn't, you'll know that I don't worship any God but Yahweh. Then, now there's no little play in footsie anymore. There's, his face changes, he's angry. Hit it up seven times! Get them out of here. We'll show them. So hot that he ordered some of the mighty men of his army, some of the the guys that were the special guard, to cast them into the furnace. And these men bound their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their own garments, and they were thrown into the firing furnace. Because the the order was urgent and the furnace overheating, the flames of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the king orders the furnace to be heated seven times more. He, his special guard, the Republican guard, if you will, hey, go bind him up. So they tie them up. They go to throw them into the fiery furnace, and the furnace is so hot that it kills the guys who threw them into the furnace. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. And then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished And rose up in a haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king, at this point, who's going to disagree with him? Oh, absolutely, whatever you say, sir. He answered and said, But I see four unbound walking in the middle of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of God. Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Wow, his story, his view of the whole situation changed, hadn't it? Servants of the Most High God, come here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of it from the fire. I I love that. It's just like, okay. It's like they're bored with the whole thing. And then... And here's another one of those little plays in the language. And the satraps, prefects, governors, king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. When God does a miracle, he doesn't do it in half measures, does he? Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. So here, this lost man, Nebuchadnezzar, makes note that this fourth man, who appeared to be like a son of God, we have no indication what it was about the fourth guy that to him made him recognize that. He then refers to that as an angel. And I would argue here that this, again, is a Christophany. This is the angel of the Lord. It's a pre-incarnate Jesus who, as we talked about last week, is he fulfills his role, the role that we see the angel of the Lord serving throughout the Old Testament is the same roles that we see Jesus doing for his church throughout the new. So, the next time we see an angel, similar story in the book, book of Daniel. Daniel himself is told that he cannot pray to anyone but the king. And Daniel dis, uh, disregards the king's command. He does like he always had done, kneels down and prays. And we read in Daniel 6, Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Now, in this particular situation, the king was tricked by his satraps and governors into declaring something. He didn't want to send Daniel, but he knew that once the law had been made, he could not make a special exception. And so the king says to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and the signet of his lords. By the way, if you ever want to see a really cool rendition of this story, I would strongly recommend... Bob and Larry's telling of this in the Veggie Tales. I love it. I can sing the song for you if you would like. Oh, no, what you gonna do? The king, it's awesome. It's good stuff. Um, King loves Daniel more than me. Anyway, um, the king went to his palace, spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. And then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declares to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living of God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. And they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king." I have done no harm. And so here we see an angel, possibly the angel of the Lord. The text doesn't let us know. But uh, here we see an angel that is protecting God's people once again. And so we see the angel shutting the mouth of the lions, as Hebrews chapter 11 says. And it wasn't because the lions weren't hungry. We see that later in the story because the guys that that tricked the king into passing the law ended up being thrown into the lions and the lions ate them before they hit the ground. So, now, we get to Zechariah. So, if you want to flip on over to Zechariah chapter 2. This is one similar to the story in Daniel that we read in that we have two different characters. So, Zechariah, uh, just want, want to t- tell you a little bit, the author of Zechariah is Zechariah. Uh, we don't really know that much about him. We know that he was living at the same time as Haggai, and the book was written by Zechariah. Um, the book is really divided in between two parts, chapters 1 through 8 and chapters 9 through 14. They are apocalyptic literature. Remember when we talked about genres, that uh, there's not a whole lot that we have in English to compare apocalyptic literature to. There's a lot of similes, a lot of this is like this, this is like to this, and it it is a prophecy against the nations. It's at the end of Israel's uh, time in in Babylon, and it's a prophecy for Israel, and it's that the temple would be rebuilt, and it's uh, Zechariah... Trying to push them to rebuild the temple, and it's also a prophecy against the nations that are around Israel, that are at ease. Because to to the children of Israel, it seemed like everything bad was happening to them, and all around them, everybody else seemed to be things to be going well. Why is it that God's children are being persecuted and prosecuted, while the the nations around Israel are everything's going good, not any problems? So, it starts out, uh, there's an introduction in uh, Zechariah chapter 1. He uh, starts out, the Lord was very angry with your fathers. Uh, he tells them that, uh, reminding them of what was said. And he says, uh, he, as he's telling the story, he says on the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah the son of Barakah, son of Iddo, saying, I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red sorrel and white horses. And then I said, What are these, my lord? And the angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what you are. So you have two people at play here. One, you have a a man riding on a red horse, And then you have this angel, the angel who talked with me said, "I will show you what they are." So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, "These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth." And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees. So you've got all these horses behind them, and the angel of the Lord is identified. And then the angel of the Lord said, "O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem?" In the cities of Judea, against which you have been angry these 70 years. And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the angel who talked with me said to me, Cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts. I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. Therefore said the Lord... Now notice... This is just like what we've seen in the rest of the Old Testament when it goes back and forth between saying the angel of the Lord and when the angel of the Lord speaks, the the narrator refers to him as the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts. And the measuring line shall be stretched over Jerusalem. Cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts. My city shall again overflow with prosperity. And the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. So you have two characters at play. You have one who is on the red horse, who is later in the, the narrative referred to as the Lord, uh, angel of the Lord. And you have just a normal angel, which again shows what we've talked about for the last couple of months, that there's a difference between the angel of the Lord and an angel of the Lord. So you have both here in the same story. There's an angel that's sitting there talking with Zechariah, comforting him, explaining what's going on. In fact, the, 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 the text very clearly says here that the role of that angel was to explain what he was looking at. The angel of the Lord, who's on the red horse, is declaring... Go, what's the Lord's word is. And again, the narrator here bounces back and forth between the angel of the Lord and then referring to what that angel of the Lord, whom we've argued is a Christophany, is a theophany that it's God himself in the form of, of the second person of the Trinity, is proclaiming. Israel will return and the temple, temple we, will be built. We see the same thing in chapter 2, Actually, you see both of these characters throughout the first half of the book of Zechariah, talking, one talking and the other talking. But we see it again in chapter 2. Behold, the angel who talked with me came forward. And another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, Run, say to that the young men Jerusalem will be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord. And I will be the glory in her midst. Up, up, flee from the land... Of the north, declares the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heaven, declares the Lord. Now, I want us to, to think about this prophecy that the angel says here. Because by the time of after the Maccabean period, Jerusalem does become like a city without walls. Um, in fact, there's there's much debate even today on when each one of those footprints of the walls were built. But we know that by the time of Jesus, the, the footprint of the city of Jerusalem was well beyond the walls. So that prophecy is, is fulfilled. That he will be a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and has been fulfilled. That Jerusalem, from the time of, of the return of the children of Israel to Jerusalem all the way up to 70 A.D., there wasn't a need for a wall that God protected Jerusalem. But he says, the Lord says, I will be the glory in her midst. And so that image that immediately comes to my mind is the image of the, the Shekinah glory of God that came and hovered over the Ark of the Covenant in the, the temple when Solomon dedicated it. That that Shekinah glory of God that, that was there so that when the temple is dedicated and that sacrifice is made onto the, the Ark of the Covenants that it God accepts that sacrifice by showing His glory to all anybody that would have been around. They would have seen that cloud of glory that came down. But when the second temple was built, we've read how when the foundations were cleared off and they started building the walls that the young men who saw it cheered, yeah, we're getting a temple back! But the old men who had seen the beauty of Solomon's temple wept so that the sound of their cheering and the sound of the weeping were mixed and you couldn't tell the difference. It seems like that temple was uh, not of the glory the way that the first one was it was a copy and then a foreign king came and he built it up but even then after it was built and it was this big edifice that was there even then the holy of holies was an empty room they didn't have an ark to put in it so how is this prophecy in Zechariah 2 fulfilled where it says that I will be the glory in their midst. God himself says I will be the glory in, his mit- in her midst. We've seen throughout the Old Testament the angel of the Lord coming and working and doing and protecting the nation of Israel. But he always seemed to be far off. Remember the story as the the Shekinah glory of God as a cloud by day and fire by night stood in front of the children of Israel and the angels stood between that cloud and those people. He was still at a distance. That when in the Holy of Holies, even when Solomon dedicated the temple and the Shekinah glory of God came down and hovered over the Ark of the Covenant, there was only one man that was allowed to go into that room. To offer the sacrifice God's glory was off At a distance And yet God says here In his prophecy He says I will be the glory of Jerusalem And I will be in her midst Just a few hundred years After this prophecy is made Eight days after his birth A little baby was brought into this second temple And a little old lady named Hannah Anna held that baby in her hand and said, I behold the glory of God. Because that baby was God dwelling among us. It wasn't something that was at a distance that we could see and we know it's out there, but it was something that we could touch who walked the streets of Jerusalem just like a man and just like us. He became a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek who could know every temptation just as you and I. His feet were dirty from the streets of Jerusalem. He walked through that temple. In fact, he walked through that temple and one day braided a cord up and he cleaned the temple out. And he said, that my house will be called a house of prayer. And God consumed him, the text said. And now, the glory of God is not some distant thing that we have to read about or look from afar or if when the children of Israel carried the Ark of the Covenants on their back, they were commanded to look away. Don't look at it. In fact, people who did look at it would fall dead. No, this is the glory of God that we can boldly approach the throne of God because he is our high priest and our defender and our advocate. So we see in this text in Zechariah the full circle of the angel of the Lord becoming more than the angel of the Lord, becoming not only the angel of the Lord, the defender of Israel, but becoming our high priest, our friend, and he tabernacled amongst us. And so we leave the stories of the Old Testament of angels seeing That most of the time when we've seen angels, it's been a Christophany. And that Jesus that we know, we can know him. It still brings tears to my eyes to, to read the story as Jesus sat in the, in the upper room with his disciples and said, you know what, I don't call you slaves anymore, I call you friends. You can walk with them and talk with them. Father God, Lord, we thank you that your glory was in the midst of Israel. And Lord, we thank you that he allowed himself to become sin for us. To purchase us. Slaves to sin. And set us free. Call us his own. Mm, God, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I, I did a funeral today for um, um, Mr. Woodard, and I was at uh, Oak Grove Cemetery, which is over just across the line into Calhoun County. I think it used to be Etowah County because some of the headphones said Oak Grove Church, Etowah County, some of the older headstones. Um, and I saw one, and I wanted to, to share it with you because it really, uh, I thought it was awesome. This lady was buried in 1887, and she had a real tall um, uh, oblique kind of headstone, and on the front was all her information, and on the back side it said, My children, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. And I thought, what a great testimony. What a beautiful thing that she, on her headstone, left a note to her kids, never forget this Jesus that I served. so I just wanted to share that. Are there any questions? None? Are we just not talking today? Is it the rain? <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to pick up in uh, the book of Matthew because there's two texts in Matthew next week that we're going to look at. One that shows that angels have special prerogatives with children and one that has angels have special prerogatives when we die. The Old Testament oftentimes theologically uh, conceals things, gives us bits and pieces of things that the, old, the New Testament will blow the lid off and give us a lot more detail. So up to this point, we've gotten some, some information, and we've gotten a lot, a lot of good stuff. But starting next week, we're going to see some specific things that angels do on a day-to-day basis. And in Matthew, we're going to see some stuff that Jesus specifically said, well, this is one of the things that angels do. Um,